Welcome to Logos on Tap. I'm your host, Christian Lunday, and I'm here with my co-host, Derek Sesum. What's up? Hey, man. Nothing much, man. Got an exciting episode for you uh, to close out season two. And uh, let's get started. Our thought of the day comes from Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And with that, we're going to baptize ourselves uh, with some mango wheat from 48 Brewery. This is our beer of the week. It's very smooth. I like it. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's good summer beer. Fantastic. Speaking of beer, our next guest uh, is a missionary through the Assemblies of God. She's going to be going to Denmark, so she signed a contract with the AG saying she won't drink. Alas, she does not have a beer in hand. Nicole Jones, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I, I'm good. Derek, how are you? You know, I'm doing well. Feeling a lot better. Fantastic. Good to be back. Good to be back. Um, Nicole, could you give us a, a little background about yourself and uh, how you how you decided you want to get into being a missionary? Well, I have been a Christian for as long as I can remember. And always heard Christianity is about relationship, not religion. And didn't really know what that looked like until college. And got to college and joined a campus ministry and started seeing people teach me how to have a relationship with Jesus. And it didn't take long for that relationship to lead to a call to ministry. Fair enough. So Nicole is going to be going to Denmark. Um, and we wanted to give her this space to talk about what she wants to do and why she's doing it. And we want to give her a space to, uh, promote some places where we can find her, maybe out of the you know charitable giving of your heart, donate to her cause and help her go to Denmark and share the gospel with people. Nicole, where could we find some of these avenues to give you some money? If you go to giving.ag.org. You can search my name or my account number, which is 2A4447, and you can give online, or you can send in a check to Assemblies of God Contributor Services, and just make sure you have my name or that account number on the memo line. Awesome. So in the description for YouTube, iTunes, Google Store, everything that this podcast is on, all the platforms, I'll put in the description uh, your account number, and I'll put in the description where to find you, any, every, every all the information we need, that way people can get you their donations. Um, Great, so, thank you. No problem. Um, so one thing that you told me was, uh, and I guess this is kind of your training ground, would be campus ministry, and... Uh, like based on your experience as a student, since you actually haven't been to Denmark yet, what was campus ministry like and how did that, how is that helping you prepare to become a missionary in Denmark? Well, I joined a campus ministry as a freshman at the University of Missouri in Columbia. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, what are you apologizing for? Oh yeah, you don't like Mizzou. <laughs> Well, I love Mizzou, very formative years of my life. <laughs> but 
anyway, I joined a ministry there called Chi Alpha Campus Ministries. And the first couple of months are crazy full of events. They are doing a root beer kegger, a barbecue, a fiesta, small groups, first service of the year, constantly coming and knocking on your door and saying, hey, there's this event, you should come. So I got pretty connected to who would end up being my small group leader um, just in those first couple of weeks with her and her co-leaders showing up, knocking on my door and saying, hey, you should come to this event or hey, let's go hang out. We ended up, they actually ended up holding small groups in my room um, because they wanted to have one in the dorm I was in and they needed a host. So once I found out they were looking to start a Bible study there, I was anxious to get plugged into some kind of church group. And I was too far away from my church to go regularly and ended up attending all year long. And then the, toward the beginning of second semester, it was time to apply for leadership if you wanted to be part of the leadership team the following year. And I applied and became a small group leader. Kind of what a typical week would look like for a small group leader was we had, and core members, if they wanted to come to everything that we had going on, we would have Monday night prayer. So we'd get together and choose a couple prayer requests that were pertinent to the ministry as a whole or the campus. And we'd pray over that and have some worship time. And then on Tuesday night, we would have service. So it's pretty typical, like a church service. You'd do worship time and a sermon and then some response time at the end where the pastor would offer if you wanted to become a Christian or if there was something specific in the message that spoke to you, that you could come down and get some prayer for those things. And then depending on what small group you were in, you would have a small group Bible study on Wednesday or Thursday night. And then at least once a month, there was an event on Friday. And that was just all the official stuff. (laughs) But we, you pretty much spent seven days a week with the people in the ministry just because they were all about building those relationships and having that community which enabled discipleship. So how did, how are you getting connected to Denmark? Is that through the same campus ministry or is that a separate entity? Like kind of what was it that brought you to the, to that place? Well, I went with my campus ministry to a conference, my junior year of college and the conference was called world mission summit. And there were Chi Alphas there from all over the country and missionaries from all over the world. And there was a missionary there who was working on starting at the, at the time it was starting the campus ministry in Denmark. And in Europe, it's not considered Chi Alpha. There was already a group in Europe as a whole called Students for Christ. And instead of trying to compete with them by starting their own, Assemblies of God just decided, hey, let's partner with them instead of bringing Chi Alpha over here. So 
Denmark is, I guess, you're going to be doing campus ministry there then? Is that, is that, is that what you're saying? Yes, I will be working with Students for Christ there. So what about college students draws you to them? Is it just because we're around their age group, or is there something different about them that, that makes you more willing to go share the gospel with them? Well, originally when I was feeling called into campus ministry, I actually thought it would end up being a stepping stone to get me to Europe and get connected with some other ministries there. But the longer I have been out of campus ministry myself, the more I have seen the importance of it. College is a time where students are open to learning new world views. They're building the views that are going to shape their future. And it is a time where they're completely open to new relationships and you can step in and build those relationships and show them that Jesus is not just a once a week thing. He actually wants to be part of your daily life. And because of the nature of college schedules, you can just be with them enough to show them, this is how I'm living out this relationship in my life. And you can do the same thing. Right. And I actually think you're right there pertaining to college students and this is the formative years where they're starting to build their worldviews and I actually think college college students come up with some of the best questions or objections if you will to a bunch of religious ideologies including Christianity and that's why I think college students are some of the best groups of people to actually have these deep discussions these apologetics discussions with because like you said they're most of the time, they're usually open-minded. They're usually willing to have these discussions with you because most of them are searching. They want answers. And sometimes college students, especially a few that I've met, have left Christianity because there's no one, no one there to actually that was willing to sit down and have these discussions with them and be willing to go through objections and different beliefs of Christianity uh, veracity of the Bible, all of these topics that m- most college students actually have questions about. And if you're not willing to sit down and answer them, then they're going to think that the religion is a sham to begin with. So I actually really agree with the idea that these are their formative years of their life where they're building worldviews, and that's why it's imperative to get in there and uh, share the gospel with them. <clears throat> Well, in Denmark especially, like I know religion is considered kind of a taboo topic even here in America, but it really isn't in comparison to most of Europe. Um, a lot of adults in Europe really don't want to have that conversation, um, whether they are Christians or not. They think religion is too private. And so these college students are so hungry to have these conversations but when they find somebody who's willing to have them, they jump on it. Right. See, that, that's actually an interesting place that I wanted to go to. Because, I mean, Europe, um, it has a connotation, whether or not it's accurate or not, of being almost like a post-Christian um, sphere, right? So just with your, your different subcultures within the different European countries. Um, and, and kind of your exploration or just even finding yourself going to Denmark um, is that something, is there more of an openness? Is there more of a um, an availability or, or acceptance of the gospel that you feel in Denmark as maybe opposed to the rest of European society, which um, is certainly more secular? 
they're not necessarily looking specifically for the gospel, at least not that they're aware of. Um, they actually, there is such a bad taste about Christianity in all of Europe because it is so tied to the history of the church in Europe more than the relationship of, with Jesus, that they are just tired of the wars that were fought between the different denominations, supposedly, because of them being state churches, and they're tired of the persecution, and that's the idea they have of the church, is the church has caused all these political problems here. And so they actually don't think they want the church, but they know they want something spiritual. And so we're coming in and saying, yes, we're still Christians, but Christianity is not about what you've seen in your church. It's not just about the tradition or the politics. It is about this relationship. Right. Which this brings into a question, discipleship. So you mentioned discipleship. And uh, I want to get into that. So what do you think is the best way to share the gospel with people in Europe, especially in Denmark, where religion is considered taboo? What would be your first step? Building relationships, living life together. Even Paul told, I believe it was the Thessalonians, I may have the wrong church there, but he said, we were pleased to share our very lives with you. And that's what, when I was a student, that's what my mentors did. I was regularly in their house or their apartment or their dorm room, depending on which year it was and which mentor I had. (laughs) But I got to see the ones who were married. I got to see their relationships with their husbands up close. Most of them I've stayed in contact with even since then and been able to see how they're raising their kids and seeing how every one of those decisions that they make and who they date, how well they date, uh, how they treat their spouses and their kids, how they're raising them to love Jesus and know who Jesus really is. But in college, especially besides just going to their apartment, it looked a lot like, hey, I've got to go grocery shopping. Want to come with me? And while we were going going shopping, they would say, hey, what's God teaching you in your quiet time? What are you reading in the Bible? So encouraging me to not only have those conversations, but have that time by myself where I was talking with God and listening to him and not just listening to what they were telling me, he said. Mm. So you would say, so the first step would be sharing your lives with them just going by, you know, normal day-to-day activities, whether you're at school or uh, you're on summer vacation working a regular job uh, while you're at school. So after you've ingratiated yourself into the lives of others, what would you say would be the next step afterwards? Um, And it just is almost more of a cycle than a step. You're constantly getting closer and building that community through the fun stuff, but also making sure that you're not just hanging out, having fun during those times. You are having those conversations that are about Jesus and what he's doing in your life. And if they're to the point where they're willing to listen to you on those things, pointing out the, 
hey, this is something that is hindering your relationship with Jesus or keeping you from having one with him to begin with. Can we change that? <laughs> right. So getting to that point where they are willing to have those hard conversations with you. Right. You got to build their trust first. Yes. (laughs) So you mentioned what Paul said, um, and I want to bring up the biblical context for missions. So you brought up what Paul said about us loving that we got to share our lives, or, you know, them loving that they got to share their lives with that specific church. Um, Outside of the Great Commission, what do you think is the most powerful biblical text in terms of sharing the gospel with others? My guess is probably Acts, but I want to see your opinion. Well, I kind of stuck between what made the most difference to me and what I actually think the Bible verse creates a picture that's the most powerful. There is a part in Revelation where John is describing the throne room in heaven and there's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus. And that is what God has in mind for the end of time, is somebody from every ethnicity worshiping him. And I think understanding that that's his heart is a big motivation. But I think what really helped me to realize that that was not just a New Testament thing, I heard so much about the Old Testament context of missions when I first got to college, and that was a big thing in helping me go like, oh, if you're not doing missions in some form or another, you're not really being obedient to Jesus and not understanding his heart. <laughs> yes, even speaking I mean, of- even... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, just even speaking on that, because, um, I mean, the the context of, of outreach and, and missions and, and spreading the good news, um, you do have it. I mean, you have it through the entire narrative that God has with us. Um, kind of going back to um, just within that context of, you know, reaching all nations, having everybody being able to have that opportunity to, to have a, con- um, a relationship with Christ and to you know, pursue that deeper through discipleship. Um, what do you think, just, of course, the campus ministry in itself is a dynamic thing. What do you think the biggest challenge will be as far as engaging with Europeans um, in, in any type of context, just as far as, um, you know, being in a different cultural sphere, you know, coming from your own context as far as your own relationship with Jesus and sharing it with these people that have so much else going on in their own lives. How do you feel like you'll bridge that gap? I think one of the biggest challenges for going anywhere is the different is just overcoming the cultural differences in general. Uh, but going from America to another Western European country, you're going to think that there's so many similarities, but I think the differences will hit harder or in a different way than you expect. But I do think the biggest thing to get tasked with specifically the Danish people is that concern about the church history. 
because again, they a lot of them are members of the state church, but that really just means they want the buildings to look nice still, so they pay a special tax for it. So how would you help these peop- these Europeans get over the uh, checkered history of the, the Catholic and Protestant churches and the uh, infighting between the two churches? How would you help them get over that perception in order to pursue a relationship with Jesus? Well, again, showing them how it's not just, yes, we have Bible study, but we don't just talk about it here. We live it out in our daily lives and showing them that, hey, yes, I have my political opinions, but I can also see how different opinions, how Christianity can apply to politics differently. And they're really, it's really not supposed to be used to get what you want politically. It's supposed to be used to show people Jesus. Right. <laughs> it's, and again, it's just having to live the, live it out in front of them. It's, so you, think, I don't think telling them works until they see it lived out. So you think example is better than, I guess, persuasion, or example is the persuasion. Yes, even Paul said, "Follow me as I follow Christ." He didn't say, here's what I'm teaching you, do it. He said, here's how I'm living my life because this is how Jesus lived his life, so it's how you should live yours too. Right. We kind of have the ultimate standard that, you know, made 66 books so we can read them all and figure out how to live, <laughs> which that's that's kind of the shocking thing about uh, church history back in, uh, you know, the Renaissance era and the infighting between Protestant and Catholic churches, because it definitely was pretty bad. Um, and it, you, sometimes you sit there and wonder, like, why did it ever get that bad? Like, I mean, I've seen some things and, from, you know, the historians back in the day that existed all the way back to Maimonides, like some of these things that were done to Christians and that Christians did to each other were, you know, pretty barbaric. Mm-hmm. Well, and even just, and I know that I've seen a couple of it here in the States before where I'm like, oh, people are using this for politics. But I think I actually was at a church earlier this year where I was talking about this missions in Denmark and what the struggle is there in overcoming that church history. And the pastor got up after me and was talking about the same thing here in America. And I just wanted to cry. I was like, America to the point where we could still turn around and the church here could change it. The church in Europe has already done it. (laughs) So do you think we, we had this big, I guess, discrepancy between America and Europe. So you're saying that America isn't beyond the point of no return, but some of the European versions are, is that what you're saying? don't even think it's that Europe is beyond the point of no return, but I think it's America is in the middle of this struggle of so many people are saying, using the church to favor the left, and so many are using the church to favor the right, and saying, no, this is where Jesus would be, where really Jesus would look at the individuals involved and not the political parties. And 
I think Europe has gone past the point of they've hit that point and gone past it, but they can turn around and go back to what Christianity really was. It just, they have to overcome their history. Whereas we're at a point where we could keep it from becoming as much of our history. I see. What you're saying. I know we still have our faults here, like how Christianity was used to encourage slavery. So the American church so far has repented of, what it's done in the past or is more people are working toward it (laughs) whereas Europe at this point they have to it's no longer changing some changing course for what they're in the middle of but completely starting over almost (laughs) I don't know if that made any sense (laughs) Yeah. yeah that makes sense I see what you're saying you're not saying Europe is beyond the point of no return but Europe is at a at a point in their history now where it's you know you only have two choices it's almost you can, starting over on building the church as yep. opposed to just changing direction yep you can keep going the road that you're going down or you can just do a complete 180 start over and do it the right way this time yeah i mean do you find that to be i mean we've talked about challenges but that that in itself is its own opportunity um do you find that actually to be to be a space where um you kind of have a, you know, that opportunity to build from scratch, essentially. I mean, you're going to be repaving over history that you've mentioned before as far as, you know, the checkered past of, of this culture, but to be able to really kind of rekindle or revive, um, how much have you kind of considered that or even saw that as, you know, what you're going to be doing? Um, sorry, that part was kind of quiet. <laughs> So, yeah, just, I mean, as far as everything has needed to be rebuilt over there, right? So you're saying that you're, there's almost a, a fresh space for revival. How much do you feel like that's going to be an opportunity for you? I think it's going to be a great opportunity. And that's another part of why we focus on the campus so heavily. There are other teams doing other things in different parts of Europe. But the reason campus ministry is such a focus for so many people is because when you change the hearts of the university students, you're changing the hearts of the future politicians and teachers and doctors and scientists. And it can change the course of the whole country. And honestly, hopefully some ministry leaders will come out of it, but hopefully they'll also see that to be a leader in the church, you don't have to be standing on the pulpit. Exactly. So, I mean, in that regard, it's, you know, the Great Commission to to the T, where you're going in, you're making disciples of the nation. You're going in and you're, you're allowing revival and spreading the gospel for the purpose of trying to transform Denmark as a whole, sounds like. Yeah. I like, I like your approach because most people, you can go in there and, you know, talk, talk your ears off and talk their ears off with as much reason and as as much evidence from scripture that you possibly can, but most people won't actually remember what you say, but they'll always remember what you do for them and how you lived yeah. your life. Like I heard a story about this person in law school and she was writing about how everyone was cutthroat and so competitive except for one person. And she's like, I don't remember his name. All I remember is that he was the only person in multiple classes that offered 
to let me see his notes, you know. And nobody else did that because everyone was trying to, you know, outcompete each other and get get higher scores because the top 10% of law school students get the best jobs usually right out of school. But he was willing to give up his notes. He wasn't really concerned with the competition. He was more concerned with his conduct. And she doesn't even remember his name. She didn't remember what the notes were. But she remembers that that person did that for him or did that for her. And uh, and she recounted it on Twitter, I think, like last year or so. And it, that always stuck with me. They don't usually remember what you say. They sometimes don't even remember who you are, but they remember exactly like what you do and how you treated them. I like I went to Bible study and service weekly, and there are very few of those where I could tell you specifically what they said. But I know that seeing them pray about their decisions and walk through what God was leading them to do is how I learned how to do it. <laughs> Like and I get most of a lot of those conversations happened in Bible study, but most of them didn't. Most of them happened in the car driving around town or sitting in their apartment eating cookie dough out of a bowl. <laughs> right. Is that a Mizzou thing or is that just a normal human being? Thing? No, that was just me and a couple of friends. That was how we would hang out. <laughs> It's not a Mizzou-specific thing, just those couple of friends. <laughs> so I actually want to get back to the American side of uh, student student ministry, so going, going to college students, campus ministry, I guess. So we are, it seems from my perspective, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but from my perspective, college students in America, th- this really seems like a... a I guess, a new atheistic sort of mindset in the majority of universities uh, around around the country. Do you think that's a huge problem? And do you think that the church has done a poor job in serving that, this part of their community? Definitely. Um, I know it depends on what your major is, too, kind of how prevalent that atheistic mindset is. I know several friends who were more science-focused who had a harder time than I did, but at the same time, I took a New Testament class with some friends of mine, but we were all in the same lecture, but then for our discussion lab groups almost, we had different teachers, and I thankfully had a teacher who was a Christian, and I loved it but they had a teacher who was an atheist and hated it. Mm. (laughs) Which I do not understand fully why you would teach a New Testament class as an atheist, but whatever. (laughs) But I definitely have seen the difference. I have a lot more context for the campus ministry I was a part of, but I do know friends in other places where they've, tried to start a campus ministry and it's kind of gone for a couple of years and then kind of fizzled out. And then the one I'm thinking of specifically, they struggled, the ministry died out because there just wasn't the support there. And then when my friends went to try to restart it, they had a home church that they really connected with there in the town that helped them build relationships for themselves while they were still trying to plant the ministry. Uh, but now that's where almost all of their students go on Sunday morning. They help out with the 
ministry events. The ministry helps out with some of their events. Like, and not a lot of, even just the campus ministries don't have a lot of that support directly from a church. And it makes a difference when they're not tied to a church. And there are places where there aren't campus ministries where churches are missing out on a big opportunity for reaching that age group that they've supposedly been trying to reach for 10 or 20 years. <laughs> I know I can, I can tell the discrepancy with where our church is at now that <clears throat> there's just this massive underserved community and literally we have colleges within less than a block around us and uh, it's just an extremely underserved community and I'm honestly not sure why because to me as much as there's this new spiritualism or new atheist movement within college these are some of the most maybe not deepest thinkers but they ask some of the most robust questions they are hung like you said they're hungry for answers and uh Usually, I, from my experience within churches, that these churches don't do a good job answering these questions. And that's why I think what you're doing is pretty cool, especially going to Denmark, which is a huge commitment on your end, but also going to a community that's traditionally underserved. There's not a lot of college ministries out there that are directly connected with individual churches. You usually see children's church, high school groups, and then after that, you're expected to be uh, an adult and you go to adult you know adult bible studies and you go to adult services but there's nothing actually catered to your age group when you're still i mean your brains our brains are still developing you know sometimes up pat you know to age 27 and you know your your prefrontal cortex is still developing you're still learning you're still growing as a human being um and like this is, these are the prime years to really do discipleship because these people they they there's really no strings attached to them. They've got school. They may have, you know, a relationship with a girlfriend or a boyfriend, but outside of that, there's they don't have huge commitments on their yep. lives besides their jobs. Yep. So they're able to dedicate large amounts of time to the gospel, to yep. the church, volunteering. Well, and typically now what the church thinks of as discipleship is a mentor-mentee relationship where you meet once or twice a month, maybe once a week if you're lucky and you have a conversation. But what I had in at university just makes me think so much more of what Jesus and the disciples had, where they lived together, they ate together, they slept together, they traveled together. And I know that's just almost not possible with the kind of culture that we have here as post-college but college, you can get in there and you, like I said, I barely ever went to the grocery store without taking one of my small group girls along with me or my small group leader taking me. Right. So just, there is that, there's the time, like you said, <laughs> to have that almost 24-7 relationship. <laughs> yeah, college is literally the perfect, like, the perfect experiment yep. for Christianity because yep. it brings and all we the didn't bounds exclude of relationship. Those oh, every other, yeah. We didn't exclude those every other 
week meeting with a mentor or every week meeting with a mentor, depending on which year it was. But we had those, but it was not where I learned the most. <laughs> right. And churches have, you know, older older people that have gone through the ringer of college kids, and those people should be taking college kids underneath their wings and showing them the ropes, not just in a mentor-mentee type of fashion, but, I mean, yep. I still think even being, you know, mentor, mentorship programs in churches are still uh, un- undervalued and underutilized. Something I wanted so badly after I graduated was to just, regularly be invited over to someone's house. So I was like, I will help you do the dishes. I will do the errands with you. Please just let me come. <laughs> but when you know they haven't learned that, it's hard to ask for that. I moved back in with my parents after college, so I couldn't even invite all that many people over to my place because it wasn't my place. <laughs> right. So it took a lot of time for me to feel like I really had very many friendships after college, even within my church, <laughs> because I went from living, practically living with these people who were teaching me to, I see you maybe twice a week, normally on the same day of the week. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and you've got Europe, you've got this church history that's complex, but sort of in a negative light, that hangs over the heads of Europeans and that kind of persuades them to not be a part of Christianity on the American side. What do you think is the biggest objection from college students? What do you think is their biggest hang up and hesitancy to join, to join Christianity and believe in Jesus? I think it depends on the people. A lot of them will at least try to say, especially on the college campus, will try to bring up a lot of the, oh, it doesn't make sense with science or a a lot of those kinds of objections. But I think even more and more recently, a lot more of it is coming back on, how can you say you believe in this person who loved everybody when you look like you hate everybody? And I think that's because the church is not, done a great job of speaking the truth in love. We've done a great job of speaking the truth and not at the same time saying, but there's something better. Uh, or we've done a great job of treating them really well without showing them what is actually going to change their life. <laughs> we've gone too far to one side or the other and so either it's not making a difference in our life and they can't see that example or so many people, it is making a difference in their life, but not in a way that's appealing. Right. Well, I mean, you you spoke a lot about the, the community piece and just being around other believers and people showing love and, and, and really living life with you. Um, kind of going back to what Christian was saying, just as far as, um, the the hang up right the struggle of of getting on board where do you feel like that 
um, community and that just being with others translates or like takes that next step to engagement kind of in your own space to where you're now going on mission work. But what does that look like, do you think? Because I think with so many um, college students or just people in general, the call or the need or the desire to be a part of something bigger, to serve or to give back or to whoever that is, how do you feel like that starts to come into play with your mission work or just in your experience a part of campus ministry? Well, I know one thing that uh, we do a lot, or I'll be a part of in Denmark if COVID hasn't changed this common thing, uh, but the team that's been there already before COVID used to do like a big thing called coffee on campus or at the beginning of the school year, they would have a bike fix day. And they meet practical needs that students have. Like everybody in Denmark rides bikes everywhere. And so fixing your bike at the beginning of the school year when you're going to start needing it every day to get to and from your classes is a practical need that you meet. And then at the same time you say, hey, the reason I'm doing this is because Jesus loves you and I love Jesus. So I'm showing you his love. (laughs) And just taking that time to show them that he's going to meet their practical needs as well. Um, And that you can be a part of our community. Good. So I, I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying about that actually, because just like Derek was saying, sometimes the call to be part of something bigger than yourselves can be more persuasive than, you know, some of the hesitancies that you have. You're, you're willing to take a leap of faith on something that seems like it has a higher purpose, which is an internal or intrinsic motivator, even for things outside of Christianity, for business, for a bunch of, you know, tangible endeavors that you can do throughout your life. The, the prospect of being part of a large group of people or being part of a huge community, there's something really that can be really appealing to that unless you're, you know, a massive introvert, but um, I I think that's true. I even remember before college when I had my own plan of what I wanted to do with my life, I wanted to be a journalist, and I didn't really see how a relationship with Jesus, like, I didn't think a relationship with Jesus really made a difference in what I wanted to do, like, I talked differently. I wasn't interested in smoking or drinking underage or, in my case, drinking at all. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't interested in that kind of things that, especially as a high schooler, are going to throw off your life. Or I wasn't interested in partying and that kind of stuff. But it really wasn't going to affect what I wanted to do with my life. And not that following Jesus means you're going to end up on the other side of the world, but I'm, when you are truly following Jesus, even if you're in the marketplace, you're a missionary, or you should be. (laughs) You should be showing people that, hey, this is, I'm doing this because God told me to, and so it's going to look different than what you're doing. I'm not going to, in the case of a journalist, if there's something that doesn't necessarily look like what the news would normally cover, but it needs to be shared, I'm going to share it because God wants me to share it. 
And I don't think a whole lot of journalists would necessarily say they're not sharing the truth, but I think a lot of people in our culture, especially in church world, think maybe not all journalists are sharing the truth. <laughs> well, I think we can say for a fact or, that that's true. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or like I did social work too, and I know because part of God changing my plans also meant that instead of only majoring in journalism, I also majored in social work. Um, and while I worked to pay off my loans so I could be a missionary, I actually did foster care case management. And I noticed a lot of times how soon caseworkers would give up on the parents, if not practically. Um, just you could tell they didn't always think the parents weren't even going to have a chance to get their kids back. And again, they would still do what they needed to do to try to help the parents, but they didn't really believe that it would happen. And I could see the difference in the coworkers who really knew Jesus and the ones who didn't, because the ones who knew Jesus started out with, at least started every case with hope for the parents (laughs) to get their kids back and do what was needed to do what needed to happen to get them back. Well, I think that, I think everything you just said speaks a lot. Cause I mean, there, there is a drive, right? There's a, uh, a purpose. There's a motivating factor there, right? For you to choose mission work. Um, and I, I kind of want you to speak into that. What is it? What is a driving force for you? If even if you could like sum it up into a word um, from your faith, from um, just feeling this calling, how would you de- describe that? Just as far as this call to mission, that is so hard. <laughs> a big part of it for me was just as I got closer to God and learned more about Him, I just learned more about his heart for the nation and saw how his first promise of the Messiah wasn't even to a Jew. It was to Adam and Eve. (laughs) And then when he did promise it to Abraham, he promised that Abraham would be a blessing to the whole world. And that promise continued over to his promise to David that the Messiah would come from his line. So many of the prophets Isaiah, he, God commissioned Isaiah to be a prophet to the Gentiles. And in Hosea, God said, those who were not my people will be my people. And so all these things where you see, like, the Jews were supposed to be an example to the world of what a relationship with God looks like. And now that's the church's job. And learning all of that, just helped me have a heart for missions. Um, but there were so many things about my childhood, too, that just looking back on, I'm like, even before I knew God wanted me to be in missions, he was preparing me for this. I never wanted a job where I sat at a desk. I never wanted to, didn't necessarily think of living in another country, but I never wanted to just stay in the U.S. all the time. I loved traveling. And just things like that, where I'm like, this wouldn't, All of these little pieces of who I am make so much more sense. He even, long before I knew missions, and even longer before I knew missions in Denmark, God started building a love for Denmark in my heart. I have 
loved the country of Denmark since third grade um, when I read a historical fiction book that took place there. <laughs> and actually, when I did finally hear about the opportunity to join the campus ministry in Denmark and said yes to God, and he said, by the way, that's the ministry I want you to work with, I went home from that conference and dug out my fifth grade homework and saw that the last Assemblies of God missionary to Denmark had left about five months before I had to study what missions were in Denmark. Wow. Um, and that was something I had completely forgotten until after I told God, yes, I'll do missions. And he said, good, I want you to go to Denmark. Um, which that was actually at the end of a year and a half long argument about if I was going to do missions or not. <laughs> I didn't want to do missions for quite a while. <laughs> and once I said yes and God told me Denmark, I was like, and that's why you waited till I said yes to tell me where, because I would have thought I was making that one up <laughs> because I already wanted to go there so badly. <laughs> yeah, it's what they call a God thing. Absolutely. You know, it's this, this culmination of just throughout your entire life, even before maybe a point of faith for you where it's like this, this location is special. You know, this is a place where you can find purpose or you can find, um, you know, just being a part of something bigger than yourself. I, I think that, I think that's so interesting how you were, how, how you even described that, that you were kind of in a, a space of even arguing with God about even going on missions. Can, can you kind of talk on that? Like, how did that process even play out? I mean, because you came to this well, point where you are going on mission, but it sounds like that wasn't <laughs> from the beginning. Well, when he first started speaking to me about missions, it was actually in the context of me praying about if I should study abroad or not. Um, I got to college thinking I was going to want to try to go home every weekend to go back to my own church. And within a couple of weeks, I heard somebody talk about the journalism program in London. And I was like, that sounds really cool. I think I want to do that. And then I was like, huh? Since when do I want to leave my church for 12 weeks? <laughs> and so that he, but as I was praying about that, I actually remember saying, okay, God, should I go to London for the study abroad program? And the, what I happened to read in my Bible that day was in Acts, and it was, yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles. Like, literally, the Bible verse I started on started with yes. And I was like, well, then. <laughs> um, that's a pretty direct answer to that question. And then that Sunday at the church I was going to, um, there was a missionary to Europe. And then that weekend, that week at our Chi Alpha service, there was a missionary to the UK. And I was like, okay, God, loud and clear. I hear you. <laughs> I'm supposed to go to London next summer. Uh, and I actually, while I was living in London, took a long weekend and went to Copenhagen as a tourist. And while I was there, just I felt closer to God than I ever had before, but at the same time felt the need for him. Um, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So that was... The prayers about study abroad were the beginning of my freshman year. That following summer before I studied abroad, I had gone back to visit my old youth group and heard my youth pastor say, some of you in here are going to be youth pastors. Some of you in here are going to be missionaries. And I heard nothing else anybody said for the rest of the night. 
because I knew the missionary part was for me and I was not happy about it. I was like, okay, I said yes to like a summer abroad. I'm not thinking I want to raise support for the rest of my life or live away from my family for that long. No, thanks. And so for a few months, there was a little bit of an actual argument of like, no, God, I don't want to do this. Can you, what's another plan? Can we do something else? Or, hey, this is what I want to do. Can you make this okay? Can this be your plan? And then I kind of hit a point where I was like, okay, eventually you're going to win this argument but I'm tired of having it. So let's talk about something else until you win, <laughs> until I'm ready to tell you yes. Um, and then that was the summer that I went to London. And I actually remember, because my campus ministry went on a short-term mission trip every summer. And I remember over Thanksgiving break, before I went to London, praying, God, I want to go on this mission trip again, but they overlap. Maybe I can fill out this application in case I don't get the scholarships I need to study abroad and then I can go on the mission trip still and he was very clear about no my plan for you this summer is to go to London you do not create yourself a backup plan and so when I got to that conference my junior year after having spent the whole summer in Europe that was how he really highlighted he's like hey look remember how much you felt the need for me in Denmark look there's an opportunity to go there and I had been, I went into that conference knowing if I'm ever going to tell God, yes, it's going to be while I'm at this conference. And I remember going, okay, God, where do you want me to go? I don't want to say yes until you tell me where you want me to go. And finally, I was like, you know what? He's not telling me yes, but if I don't, he's not telling me where, but if I don't tell him yes now, I'm never going to tell him yes. So I'm telling him yes. And then that was the last morning of the conference the last night of the conference, he told me where. And I remember between worship and the sermon, writing in my journal, Denmark, really? Denmark? The place I wanted to go since fifth grade? And by the time I got back to my room that night, I was writing almost the exact same thing with periods instead of question marks. (laughs) Well, Nicole, I I think that's pretty awesome that you're going to uh, Denmark, and I, I love your motivation for it. Um, I too, I really like God's heart in terms of going to heaven and seeing how many diverse groups of people are going to be there. I think it's, I think it's compelling that not only what you brought up in the old Testament, uh, but even in the new Testament, the first person that Jesus actually explicitly said he was the Messiah to was the Samaritan woman, which has such a massive cultural context, not just the fact that she's a Samaritan, but the fact that she's a woman, I think, yeah. I mean, these are all like points to God having a heart for different communities of people. And I think it's really cool that you are taking time out of your life to go share the gospel with these people. Uh, but I think we've hit the end of the road of our conversation. So, Nicole, could you please remind us where to find where we can donate to you? It would be giving.ag.org. And actually, the link I'll provide you will bypass the needing to search my name or account number, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. Cool, cool, cool. And I'll post that in the description. So, All right. There's that, or you can email it to AG Head or mail a check to AG Headquarters in Springfield, Missouri. So. <laughs> Who mails checks? 
Well, Nicole, it was inspiring to hear your story, your testimony. I can't wait to hear about the updates about your mission work. It's very exciting. Yep, thank you. I'm excited to share it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I hope we'll see everyone back uh, for another episode for next season. And we bid you adieu.